Welcome to Thrive, Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. I'm your host, Melissa Clark, a professional counselor in the Dallas area with a passion for helping you overcome challenges, process painful emotions, and understand your God-given identity. Thank you so much for being here. I believe listening to this podcast will leave you feeling excited, educated, and empowered. As you guys know, we are in the middle of a year-long series and only a couple more episodes left, all about helping you to thrive in your life. We've been looking at all the different ways for you to grow emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, and relationally. Today's episode is going to help you in every single area of your life. We are talking all about self-care, reimagining self-care for a sustainable life. Sitting down and talking with Janice McWilliams, a fellow therapist and spiritual director, all about how she uses the life of Jesus as her model to help her clients to achieve new levels of peace and fulfillment. We are looking at ways to have sustainable self-care because it can feel a little bit overwhelming when you think about self-care, like what is it? How much is it going to cost me? And how am I supposed to have time for that? Janice is throwing out everything that you know about self-care and really looking at small ways to manage your thoughts, to live well with your emotions and to establish soul restoring rhythms. I really enjoyed this episode. She is a breath of fresh air and I am so excited for you to begin practicing ways of restoring your soul now as we're winding down the year and in the year to come. Without further ado, here's my interview with Janice. I want to welcome to the show Janice McWilliams. Janice, welcome. Thanks, Melissa. I'm really glad to be here. I am so excited. You are a fellow counselor and there's yes. just something about having conversations with people who understand our weird, wonderful world. Absolutely. And I would love to hear a little bit about you and then what springboarded you into this conversation about soul care, self-care. Sure. I started my career in campus ministry and really gravitated towards sort of the one-on-one relationships and kind of helping people sort of grasp concepts that would be life-giving, but then how do you live these concepts? Hmm. And this followed me into my becoming a therapist and spiritual director and just wanting to be about how do we help people kind of figure out how to feel better in the moments and hours of their day so that they don't get so burned out and overwhelmed. So Hmm. for me, I know learning about kind of how do I deal with my own thoughts became a whole new idea when I was in an internship for becoming a counselor. Do you remember back then? I do. I do. The dreaded dreaded 3000 hours. I know all (laughs) the hours, but I was interviewing at a place called the stress and anxiety and stress disorders Institute of Maryland. And I had already been offered a, an internship in another place. And I just kind of kept the, the interview just out of has some curiosity and some politeness, but I went in and I was talking about my therapeutic frame and being a Jungian at that time and very, very intrigued by Jung. And then the idea of like thoughts coming in and what do you do with them? And again, is that you're curious about like pretty much everything, you know, you, Mm -hmm. Oh, why is that there? What's, and and you dive into the depths and that really, I really liked that. But I was in a really difficult time in my life at that time. And I was realizing that my thoughts were sending me into kind of a swirling 
mass and puddle of sadness and goo. And, <laughs> but I was trying to be you know, curious about them. And I just felt like something's not working. And when I was having this interview for this counseling internship at this other place, the person who would become my trainer, Carl, said the difference between what to do with thoughts in a Jungian frame and in an acceptance and commitment therapy frame, like in the, the way we work with thoughts here, that that's a counseling perspective that was new to me at the time. And it's called ACT. And he said, what we do is when a thought drops in, we discern, is this helpful mm-hmm. or is it not helpful? Or we ask, is it helpful right now? And when he said this to me, I thought, oh my goodness, this would change my life. You had therapy and then an interview. I had an interview. Oh yes. And it was one of those, like I got tunnel vision and I was like, this is, this is important. Something amazing is happening. <laughs> so I ended up, I ended up saying yes to this, you know, for me, unlikely kind of internship and learning a lot about just how do you deal with your inner world in a better way than I ever had before. Yeah. And, and so it was, it ended up not just being about thoughts, but I moved and I kind of was bringing in my spiritual director part. And just as I was understanding how to work with clients, what do you do with your inner world that, mm. that is self-care in the moments and hours and days so that your weeks and months and years feel better? And it just felt like in my years as a counselor, you know, that, that, that uh, interview was a long time ago, that internship was a long time ago, but in my years working as, um, as a counselor, no matter what was going on with people like big systemic or external stressors, you know, illness or families Mm -hmm. falling apart or children really doing alarming things or relationship problems, no matter what was going on, we would somehow circle back to okay, how do you feel better when you go home right now? Exactly. Like, what do you need to do tomorrow to be able to kind of steady yourself more and be more okay through this tumultuous thing that you, you know, a lot of times the stuff that you really can't stop or control, you, you can't listen to the messaging about self-care that just says, you know, go relax. No. Take, a bu- take a bubble bath. <laughs> take a bubble bath. Yeah, yeah. Take a, take a spa day. Sometimes- that's just not how life works. Or even if you do it, it doesn't have a lasting impact. If your day-to-day life is still so stressed or so unsustainable, even by your own doing, mm-hmm. um, or just in the ways you've learned and patterned behavior to live and be in work and relationships in the world. So because it always circle back to, okay, how are you going to feel better today? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do tomorrow that's going to help sustain you? What does self-care for your inner world, really soul restoring self-care look like along the way? So that's just some of the way this, these concepts all came together for me. Yeah. It's it's really a, a different picture when, when I was reading your book and I saw, you know, about your inner world, it made me think about how, if you have a. I don't know, like a, like a dirty, like if you're completely dirty inside and outside and you just put on like a new outfit. Yeah. (laughs) Or the phrase like putting, putting lipstick on a pig, you know, like my nails are pretty. Yeah. But if you're a wreck on the inside and that's how we feel right now, we feel like a wreck on the inside. And I think we think if I take a nap or if I watch some Netflix, if I get my nails done, then I'm going to feel better. But then why don't I feel better? 
So talk to us about the difference between your definition of self-care and maybe what we think about is self-care. I think what we think about as self-care, the messaging kind of from society is something you, you do when you are completely overwhelmed and burned out, then you can, you, you come to a hard stop and you do something that's often really expensive, you know, like take, Mm -hmm. take vacation or take, you know, take a spa day or, you know, a fishing trip or something that takes a lot of time to kind of recoup yourself. Or it can mean other, other things like I'm going to do a special kind of diet, or I'm going to suddenly have really rigid boundaries. I'm going to quit everything. Or exercise is one of the things on your list. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start, start exercising in a certain way. Now, all of that stuff is great. I don't have any problem with all those kinds of self-care. I think they're wonderful, but at their best, they really are replenishment and not recovery. Mm. If our day-to-day life is not sustainable and, and leads us to this state of overwhelm and burnout and fatigue, then these stopgap measures just help us kind of get our footing again, only to resume the exact same life that was the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking about soul restoring self-care that leads to a sustainable life, I'm talking about like, what can you do if you feel bad? What can you do in a moment or an hour or in a day that might help you feel a bit better? So it's, and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It doesn't have to take hours and hours or or tons and tons of money to do that kind of work. But a lot of times, you know, and this is what I find in my counseling room is that people don't know how to tend to their thoughts, emotions, in such a thoughts and emotions in such a way that they, they have a sense of empowered kind of, I, I can handle this. And then they don't know how to lay live patterns in their day that lead to great soul restoring rhythms and also fulfillment. Like, so, I mean, I, ah, the epidemic of non-fulfillment is something I'm very passionate mm. about. Trying to talk say, about. More, say more about that. Yeah. Just, I have like a whole, whole kind of, set of clients who will come in and really everything is in place in their life for that they've wanted that's that's good like a meaning you know meaningful job that they feel suited to do a relationship that they with a person they they truly love the kids they always want to have or just the the living in the place they wanted to live or what have you but they just don't feel like in contact with it it's like, it's all happening and it's so frenetic and it's, or it's, um, they don't, they don't know how to make the, make the connection to their people and to the life in such a way that they're finding it to be fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And so people kind of sit back and like, well, I, I hope I, I hope something happens and I feel more fulfilled mm-hmm. and, and it's like, oh, no, you can, you can do stuff to feel more fulfilled mm-hmm. today. But it requires intention that I feel like is a bit of a lost art mm. when you, you decide, you know, it, it will make me, I will feel more fulfilled if I have kind of eye to eye little contact and playtime with my three-year-old than I will if I'm scrolling on my phone and, and just overseeing mm. the children play mm. and just for five minutes of that versus mm. the five minutes of distracted kind of jarring social media scrolling like that, those kinds of choices, they don't have to take all day. You can still check your phone, but, but if you're never 
allowing yourself to kind of really be in contact with what's important, who's important mm-hmm. to you and what's important to you to be about. And you lack fulfillment in the end. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, another piece of work that I, I end up talking to so many clients about is, do you feel like you know how to do fulfilling work? And, you know, so if you, if you need to plan a meeting, how long does it take you? And people are like, I don't know, you know, it's forever or as long as it, I, I have. And sometimes I'll say, well, where's your phone when you're prepping this? I'm like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's right here. And the notifications are all on, all of the computer and everything. So they get interrupted during this meeting prep 25 times. Yeah. How does so, that factor into our, our inner world, these distractions and interruptions and not being present? Because this all goes together. These aren't separate topics. No. They're very much connected topics. Yes, absolutely. If you don't feel confident that you can plan a good meeting or whatever your work happens to be fairly quickly and be proud of the product, you're not going to feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so if your if your process just takes, you know, forever and you're always flitting, you know, back and forth out of, out of the process, then, you know, most people I just find, they just lack a sense of fulfillment and confidence that they even know how to get things done or even connection, right. With all those browser tabs open, you feel so pulled and I'm, I'm wearing an Apple watch right now. I mean, all my notifications are turned off, but that's only because Surrey said, do you want to turn it off for this meeting with Janice? (laughs) Thank you for asking. She she told, she told me it's probably best to set a boundary. (laughs) Right, Right. I guess that was a part of the new update. But for most of us, myself included, unless I'm in session with the client, I mean, there's so many distractions that were not present. And then I know how that feels for for myself. It just feels icky on the inside. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And and I have some statistics in my book, and I'm not sure I remember them offhand, but just the number of minutes and hours that people are on their phones every day, you know, for, for most people, it's like, in minutes in the hundreds. Yeah. And, and if you imagine, even if you capture 10% of those minutes mm-hmm. and do something that means a great deal to you mm-hmm. and is focused in on the people you love and that you want to be in relationship with, that's doing something in the world that makes you feel like you're contributing to the goodness of creation society, then you're going to, you're going to feel better. But it requires intention because most of us are trained and habituated to be addicted to our phones and they're designed to addict us. Yeah. And, and it's, that's three hours and 15 minutes. That's how much time oh. we spend on our phone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's bananas. And again, I, I love, I love me some phone. I do because yeah. it's, it connects me to my people and it, it shows me pictures of my life. That makes me really happy. So I'm not, I'm not anti the device, but, but to challenge ourselves around the time that we spend to it and transfer some of that time to the things that, you know, represent soul restoring rhythms or fulfilling activities is the easiest way for most of us to, to kind of capture some time to do it because most of us are in that statistic you read, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of time that could be captured there and put to another place. Yeah. There, okay. There's another problem with the phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me, let me, or it's not, it's not just the phone, but let me um, 
tell you a metaphor that I use with a lot of my clients. And that's of consider your body like a vat of soup you're cooking every day. Mm-hmm. And the ingredients you have at your disposal are stress hormone and happy hormone, just to mm-hmm. keep. And now I, I got this, this metaphor came to me when I remembered a time in my twenties when my housemate made tortilla soup and she put a tablespoon of cayenne instead of a teaspoon in the mm-hmm. soup. And so we were like five bites in and like nobody could, could eat. We weren't accustomed to that much spice, so we couldn't eat the soup. And when you make tortilla soup, you want some cayenne but you don't want too much. Mm -hmm. And if you consider that to be kind of like stress hormone is for us, we want some stress hormone because it gives us some oomph and some energy and, and it helps us kind of have kind of the the edge we might need to do certain presentations and projects and that kind of thing. But if we have too much stress hormone in our bodies and all the time, all the time, we feel terrible. Mm -hmm. So if you consider your body to be like a vat of hormone soup and you're putting in stress hormone every day and you're putting in happy hormone every day, you you may or may not have a lot of control over certain aspects of the stress hormone that's going in. If you're enduring systemic issues that cause you stress in the in society, you know, racism, sexism, mm-hmm. poverty, uh, you know, all kinds of all kinds of injustices, like mm-hmm. all those things are going to be that are happening, you can't make that stop, right? But then we have all the stress hormone we put in that we could mitigate some, like mm-hmm. the, how much you're scrolling through headlines on your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of, they're designed to to jolt you with stress hormone. Mm-hmm. And so you dump all that on top. You know, there's some work you could do to limit the amount of stress hormone that goes in. And there's sometimes you you, it's out of your control. It's just going to, it's dumping in there. You're, it's like, you're starting the day with your stock before you put anything in soup stock mm-hmm. and it's already got a lot a, of cayenne pepper. A lot of cayenne in it. Yeah. And so what I like to talk to people about is, is kind of this other empowering side of things. Like, what are you putting in your soup that could help? Because Kind of balance out the flavor. Yes, balance out the flavor. Right. Because seasoned chef will tell you, you might not have to dump out your too spicy soup if you add potatoes to it because it soaks Mm -hmm. up the spice or you add some brown sugar and it kind of Mm -hmm. mellows it. And so for us, if we have the same idea in mind, like, okay, there's only so much I can do about the stress hormone, but I'm going to be intentional to be putting happy hormone in here Mm -hmm. to mellow out the balance of hormone in my body. And it will make you feel better. And it does not have to take you taking a day off or quitting a volunteer role to do it. It's woven into your days. So Melissa, when the pandemic started, I don't know if it was like for you, you probably relate to some of this at least, but all my sessions that were probably 80% in person and 20% online, they all went online, of course, because needing to be separate, but what also was happening is that a lot of my clients wanted to talk to me about how the pandemic was stressing them out, making them afraid and freaking them out. And yeah. I was experiencing that too. Totally. So that's like a different kind of counseling. So I know that was the first time that ever happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it kind of kept going and going and going. going. Right. So the therapy, when when people are trying to talk to me about the exact same thing I'm dealing with, it's like on a whole different level of difficult to do. So 
I had a group supervision with, with other therapists during that time. And we were talking about like, how do we, how do we take care of ourselves in this and in daily and doable ways that yeah. don't mean, you know, the only thing I can do is take a day off, but I want to know how to make the days I'm working feel better. And so I decided to do basically kind of a sun salutation and a breath prayer in between every session mm-hmm. instead of checking my email or scrolling through my phone or whatever mm. I often do in between. And just that change, which all told took seven minutes of my day, mm-hmm. if that really made me feel in my body a lot different at the end of the day than if I had done those other things that tend to, you know, just hit me with a stress hormone. Mm-hmm. And so that, that metaphor of like, make you're cooking up some hormone soup every day is something that I, I end up talking to almost all my clients about. And it's in my book, restore my soul, because it's, if we can figure out the ways to do that, that are, make us happy, that fit our personalities, you know, whether you're doing things incorporated into your days, like a little family dance party mm-hmm. or, um, uh, reading, the daily prayers at, at midday or something like I did, you know, a, a practice that kind of moved my body, but also gave me mm-hmm. a centering um, spiritually, you know, those, those things don't have to be that hard. And I got really passionate about this and I made these 50 self-care ideas that take five minutes or less that Love it. like, and it's um, a PDF you can get that if you type in, hormonesoupresource.com then you'll get access to that and i want i want the world to have <laughs> this resource because the humans are suffering and it just seems like it it hasn't really led up since no then. and it, it's not going to yeah it, it's not it, it's not likely i mean it's not likely to get better i and i feel like even though it gets better we don't know what to do with ourselves so even on our days off even on our vacations, we're eating too much. We're drinking too much. We're on our phone still. So yep. you can be at a beautiful location and still feel just as miserable because you've put that lipstick on the pig. Right. You haven't really made <laughs> contact with the place you're in or what you're doing. So, yeah, I think you make a good point that the moment to moment and hour to hour and day to day self-care is actually going to help you not only in your life. As, as it is um, when you're not on vacation or you're not taking a day off, but it will help you on those days too, to be more in contact. To with- actually enjoy it. Yeah. So what does that look like? You mentioned breath work, sun salutations, but what are those ways for us to manage our inner world, especially in regards to our thoughts? Because that was something that I found really interesting about your book is just, we think 6,000 thoughts a day. That's what researchers think. I I feel like that's very low. I feel like well, it's way the, you know, the, the range was like <laughs> six to 70,000. And uh-huh. my, my editor sent me all these articles. Like, I think we go low on the estimate because we don't want to get criticized. I say, one, I say 1 million whenever I'm talking about it with my clients. Because <laughs> because, <laughs> because there's all different thoughts at one time. And I feel like when you think all those different thoughts at one time, you multiply those together and it becomes like this exponentially big experience becomes huge. It does. And the, yeah, so, so we probably have a lot more than 6,000 thoughts a day, but each of us, according to our personalities, our family background, the different kind of traumas we we've sustained, those things indicate what kind of thoughts will get our attention. 
Yeah. And so we're kind of, because of all that stuff that's out of our control, we're sort of hardwired to pull towards getting our attention more hooked into thoughts that are maybe more in the worry category, more in the rumination category, or more in the, I call it the despairer category. Mm -hmm. So the worry is like, um, you know, what if, and fill in the blank, this catastrophic thing happen? Mm -hmm. What if, what if, what if I go to this meeting and I don't have anyone to talk to whatever rumination is, um, wow, I went to that meeting and I really seemed like a, a, a jerk when I said that thing and um, everyone probably hates me, you know, whatever. So it's like ruminating is looking backwards on things. That- and I want to add to that because uh, your definition is like so correct in the book, but I know for my ruminating thoughts, mm-hmm. I wanted to share that because I feel like it's something that we all do is we have conversations about conversations. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 I, there is no telling how many hours of my life I have spent having conversations. Well, when this happens, I'm going to say that, and then they're going to say that, and then this is going to happen. And I like transport myself in this alternate reality and lose so much time. Rehearse debriefing or rehearsing kind of a conversation to a point can be super helpful, Yeah, right? You want to learn from the conversation you really didn't like the way you showed up in, and you really want to prepare well. Mine are generally just made up. (laughs) That's very kind of you, Janice. (laughs) But but here's the thing is that when it becomes repetitive and you keep going over it and over and over it, then all that's happening in your inner world when you're doing that, the only thing after the initial kind of problem solving that might've been helpful, the only thing that is happening is your mood is being impacted. So if you're tending to worry more, your mood is going to be impacted and you're going to feel more anxious. Mm-hmm. If you're ruminating, your mood is impacted and you're going to feel more depressed. Mm-hmm. If you're despairing, then your mood is going to pull more low. Mm-hmm. And so if you have an hour of time where you're doing one of those things in your brain, you're going to feel terrible at the end of the hour. And so if you know how to notice for once, you know, metacognate, notice your thoughts, first of all, and you can learn to do that. I try to help people learn to do that in their, in my book, if they can notice their thoughts and see, oh, there I go worrying again and shift their attention to whatever they're doing. They've captured one moment. Mm-hmm. And even if they have to catch themselves and shift and shift, catch, catch themselves and shift over and over again, if in a given hour, you've been caught up in that swirl, just 30 minutes instead of an hour, you're going to feel better. The hormone soup will be tastier. That's where I, I feel so passionately about people understanding in the next hour of your life, you can either dive into a swirly, angsty, you know, repetitive, circular, despairing cycle and feel bad, or you can notice you're doing that, catch yourself and and endeavor to strengthen the neural pathway that has the capacity in your brain to keep your focus on what is actually happening and you will feel better mm-hmm. hour. every minute counts and that's what it, I think. it all adds up to think about like finding gold versus spending gold when you when you find these moments you get you add you find gold right at the end of the day it's better to have this much gold compared to like nothing at all exactly and and i think that Folks tend to come to the table where their thoughts are concerned with just thinking, I, I don't have any efficacy 
around this part of my life. And then a lot of people add on a good big heaping of inner critic and get, you know, why aren't I more positive? I'm just comparison, imposter syndrome. Right, right. I mean, there's like oh, so much there. All of that, all of that. Which social media only dumps, you know, yes, exactly. lighter fluid too. Yes, yes it's so helpful. <laughs> so, but, it, but I think when people learn like, oh, I, I can actually do something about these thoughts that are dropping in on me. I can't do anything about the ones that get my attention. Mm-hmm. That's again, that's in, it's environmental, it's biological, it's systemic. You can't change the thoughts that drop in and get your attention. But the next second after the thought mm-hmm. drops in, that's when you have the ability. Am I going to follow this mm-hmm. and swirl around in it for 15 mm-hmm. minutes? Or I'm going to say, okay, there's that worried thought. I'm going to come back to what I'm doing, shift my attention. So in acceptance and commitment therapy, that's one of the kind of pillar skills called cognitive diffusion. And I've just so appreciated that from the world of ACT and um, Stephen Hayes and things. I mean, the people that are thinking about that. So that's, I think, one of the really big ways to address the thoughts part of having your inner world feel better. Yeah, definitely. And when I think about mindfulness too, if you're in a whirly swirly and you're just taking a hot bubble bath. So I think for us to kind of stop and recognize, okay, right now I'm having a worry thought or I'm ruminating. I'm, I feel low and that makes sense to me. And that, that happens having that acceptance, but now, now what am I going to do? And I do feel like for the shift of that, what am I going to do next? The grounding exercises are so helpful what yeah. am I hearing? What am I seeing? What exactly. what can I smell? What can I taste? What can I feel? Do you feel like that's a good kind of like basic coping skill, like to pull us, you know, out of our head and into our present? Or do you have Absolutely. others that you recommend? Yeah. Coming back to the five senses is the most fundamental grounding exercise to help you become present to what is happening, where you are, what you're doing. And I think do you know you get better and better at it the more you do it because yeah. you're developing a neural pathway in your brain that's the kind of staying present neural pathway so that you can just come back to I mean I mean I had a similar very similar to your to your bubble bath experience I my girlfriend came into town and we um my husband was out of town so we were doing a lot of fun things and did some self-care stuff you know the the stop out of your life and do self-care stuff that I'm still supportive of but I was getting a massage so we had gone to do that. And I, I, re- I noticed how my attention would shift away and, and I, and then I would go, wow, you know, it's almost like I'm losing moments of this experience mm-hmm. by planning something or, you know, something that I'm, I'm kind of anxious about or worried about would get my attention. And so coming back to the physical sensation of the massage, it was a very clear, you know, thing to come back to as far as my attention goes but just to keep my attention there and not let myself kind of drift out of this and not, not experience it fully, not get the replenishment from it. It ought to give me. So yeah, the grounding, shifting attention, cognitive diffusion, being able to come and be in the present moment. I mean, research study after research study shows people who are developed in the ability to stay present to what is actually happening, feel better. Period. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it's interesting too. It helps us to slow down time 
mm-hmm. when we do that. When we live in our head, it feels like the day is just like it's over and then a month is over and a year is over. And what have I done with my life yeah. versus like tuning in and going for a walk and paying attention to the clouds or looking at the flowers, some very simple things that are free. That's what I talk yes. to my clients about too. Like these are free things that take anywhere from 30 seconds to 15 minutes. Like you can have longer ones like therapy and other things like that. But I think in terms of like managing our inner world to where we can experience those other things really is a craft and a practice. Mm -hmm. Another thing you talk about in your book is emotion. So how do you feel like managing our emotions plays into caring for our inner world so that our soul can be restored in a sustainable way? I'm so glad you asked this. Uh, Two things I want to get across probably most about that is that what I find is that a lot of people have an idea that they they ought not experience certain emotions. And if they do, it makes them a bad person or they're not pleasing God, or in some way they are trying to just shove down their emotional experience or shove it away because they don't think it is, it's okay to feel it. Like in some of the more difficult emotions to experience, are difficult. I mean, anger and and jealousy and disgust are all, they're all Mm -hmm. difficult to, to, and fear, anxiety. They're, they're difficult to experience, but the resistance to experiencing the emotion becomes a much bigger problem than actually learning to experience an emotion. And it doesn't take that long to experience emotion if you don't try to tamp it down. And If you try to tamp it down, it can take a really long time and require a lot of your energy to keep it tamped down when in about a minute you could experience that emotion. And, you know, it's every emotion has an arc. It kind of comes up, it gets kind of big, you might cry or, you know, have some kind of physical experience of it. And then it comes back down and you're back at your baseline. And so I see so many people who, don't maybe have an idea. Like if I, if I let myself experience this emotion, it will never stop. Exactly. Or overwhelm me. It'll drown me. It will drown me. Yeah. Or if I allow myself to experience this emotion, God won't be pleased with me. Yeah. I'll be sinning. I'll be sinning. And so I just, I'm at it with my, my clients and directors. Like, no, 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 no. Like we're, we're created with the capacity for all the emotions. Our emotions show us a lot of interesting things about ourselves. They're neither, good, they're neither good nor bad. They're neither good nor bad. And it's where we get in trouble is in reaction to these emotions, what we do to slime our people yeah, <laughs> or, or just move outside of how we want to live and who we want to be in the world. And so, so the one thing is that I, I want people to hear is that the work of understanding that all emotions are okay and, and how to experience them and understanding the way you resist emotions is it becomes really important in doing that personal work and so and my my book kind of spells out the different ways we tend to avoid Mm -hmm. shut down emotions Mm -hmm. the other thing that i i feel passionately about is that the best place to bring any emotional experience is into your relationship with jesus yes and all too often when i ask my clients 
hey, have you have you tried to bring this really difficult thing we're talking about here into into your relationship with Jesus? They kind of say, well, no, I haven't really done that. I haven't really prayed about it. Mm-hmm. Almost with this this unconscious, usually, I got to get this kind of fixed before I can go to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or Jesus doesn't want to hear about all my all all that ugly emotional stuff that I'm dealing with. And that's where I, oh no, there's no better place for us to be and process our our inner emotional turmoil turmoil than in relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what I want people to to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Just like with our thoughts, it, it takes time to be able to feel our feelings and it can feel so overwhelming at first. You and I have a, a rare snapshot into that emotional experience. And I remember as an intern watching people have these emotional moments. And I remember thinking, I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know what I'm going to do here. Cause I, what if they drowned in their emotion and they don't come back up? I remember just like being like really, you know, deer in a headlight. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen here. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I remember like looking at my clock and my, even right now my foot is like tapping. So I'm like getting nervous thinking about it. Um, and it, it took around three, three to five minutes. And the next time, same thing. I got really nervous, but three to five minutes later, same thing. It takes about five minutes at the very longest and these big emotions to, to feel it, to, to have that cathartic experience where you acknowledge what you're feeling and to me, I don't, I don't know about you, Janice, but to me, if I can care for my own emotions and recognize them, I feel like that's one of the most loving, caring things I can do for myself. Absolutely. I don't think we're going to have time to get into this t- today. You're, you're going to have to come back on another time. Okay. Talk about the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram too. Four. Nice. <laughs> As a two, it's so hard for me to access my emotions. I want to push those down and help other people. And it just gets me into a world of hurt. And so no matter who we are, where we are, even as a four, it it can be hard to, to process your emotions in, in a healthy way. So we're winding down on time for today. What would you say, Janice? What, what are some simple things that will get us started in this restoring our soul journey? Because it is just that it's a journey. We're not going to have it all figured out. It's not a one and done thing. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I think that is very accessible that you can start doing in the next hour is learning and uh, to take a what I call a better break. Though, so just like me between my therapy sessions, uh, when, when I was taking a break or trying to kind of reset in between sessions, if I was checking my email while I was doing that, or I pulled up my phone, that's going to jarring with more stress hormone, it's probably not going to replenish me in any way. Right. And so the better break is sometimes standing here at my window and looking at the woods that are just out there for just a minute, you know, just, just letting myself really notice the leaves blowing and the, and the beauty of it. That's a better break. A better break might be having, you know, sitting and having a cup of tea and just mindfully drinking that cup of tea. Um, so it, it, it's a lot of those ideas I was talking about. It could be listening to a worship song. You know, that takes about three minutes, right? But doing that actually dumps happy hormone into the soup mm. instead of adding 
some some more stress hormone and it make little interventions like that small short interventions like that make a big difference they add up they do and your soup will be more palatable throughout uh, the day and at the end of the day if you've if you've got a good balance of hormones in there and so i'm the better break is I love that do that tomorrow or day or today do it today do it today start today with a better break one thing that you feel like you would be willing to commit yourself to do, mm-hmm. put the reminder in your phone. And then once it reminds you, put the phone away yeah. <laughs> to do the better break. And then later on, by all means, scroll through social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, but, but just understand that your body needs variation like that. It needs fast and slow mm-hmm. to feel better. And so if, if our day is just unrelentingly fast, we're going to have too much stress hormone and we, it will affect how you feel. You'll feel yes. stressed, anxious, fragile, touchy. So that's my, that's my plug for the better break. I love that. The better break. And I, I, again, you don't have to have a certain amount of money or a certain amount of time to do that. Nope. You know, we are, a lot of us are time poor. Mm-hmm. And if you look at your screen time, one thing I'll do if I'm time for is I'll take my Instagram time. I'll put it in half, take that in half. And that's the amount of time I want to dedicate to, you know, better breaks or yeah. really soul care work. And that doesn't take any more time out of my day. No. I'm just using my time differently. And so I think that really piggyback off of what you're saying. Well, yeah. Janice, this has been so good. Where can we find you and where can we connect? Okay. I have. My book is called Restore My Soul, Reimagining Self-Care for a Sustainable Life. And that's on sale on all the outlets. If you just want to read more about it, you can go to my website, mm-hmm. which is JaniceMcWilliams.com. I would love it if you would follow me on Instagram. I'm going to be starting a little push of really fun, hilarious um, videos of Barbie <laughs> learning, um, going through her own journey of moving from the occasional one-off self-care to truly self-restoring self-care. So I hope those will be a big um, source of enjoyment for people as they are cranking their own understanding. And then if you want those 50 self-care ideas that take five minutes or less, go to um, hormonesoupresource.com and you can download that today. Yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Melissa, I'm so glad to have met you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me this week on Thrive, Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. Be sure to visit my website where you can subscribe to get the show notes. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. That way you never miss a show. While you're at it, help me out by adding some stars to the rating and tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week where we continue to help you to thrive in your life.